This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is 321. The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome welcome to the Freedom Hut uh, here in New York City. Back in town after a couple of days down in Dallas, uh, out in Las Colinas, a a suburb of of the Dallas area where our studio is. A lot of uh, fun to fill in for Glenn, obviously. Get a chance to hang on the big show. Uh, Very enjoyable stuff, and uh, I appreciate all of you who were able to uh, tune in either on the audio side, or to watch on the uh, Blaze TV video. It is the day before Thanksgiving. I am planning to have a sort of loose show today because I'm just excited to be on holiday. And it's been quite a quite a stretch here of the run-up to the election and then the enormous uh, change of perspective that many of us have had after the election in the sense that, wow, Trump really won. That's a thing. That's a thing that happened. Uh, it's just been a lot. And I've I found that the holiday season, I'm hoping, it's funny, you get all these people that are, or I shouldn't say people, these different media outlets, it's all, and how to speak to your family about politics. The good news is the Sextons all love freedom, so there's no, there's really no problems there. You know, there's like minor, minor disagreements on things here or there, but uh, we don't have any commies in the Sexton family, so that, that makes that pretty easy. Uh, but I think it's funny that people, the uh, sort of meme that's going around for Thanksgiving and for the holiday season is that people, there's going to be a lot of fighting over Trump and Trumpism and Trumptasticness and all that sort of stuff. And I would just wonder why anyone would want to go down that path. It's so much more fun over the holiday to talk about anything else. Favorite TV shows, uh, football stuff i don't know whatever whatever gets you excited i would recommend if you're in a sort of mixed family uh company situation in terms of politics you know democrats republicans if you've got a family where there's some real disagreement that's going to happen it's just it's just not worth it to go there i I don't i don't see it as like yeah let's all sit around and try to convince people that trump was better than hillary after the fact and I, I think that this is in part, my, my sense of this is, is in part driven by 
how freaked out the Democrats are that uh, all Democrats seem to be. Uh, I mean, I shouldn't say all, but like uh, most of them, the ones I talk to are very upset about all this and they're not they're not taking it well. Uh, this is not like they've sort of decided they're going to move on. They haven't yet reached that stage of the game where they're saying, you know what, we can all be friends. We'll figure this out. I keep saying everyone needs to chill. It's going to be okay. We don't really know what Trump's going to do. I don't know what Trump's going to do. I would offer to you that Trump doesn't know what Trump's going to do, really. Some are pointing out, as I mentioned yesterday on the radio show, not pursuing Hillary uh, uh, with, and then you get all these sort of pedantic, uh, irritating people on Twitter who are like, well, he doesn't investigate her. The AG investigates her. It's like, well, he can appoint a special prosecutor. And yeah, the way the system actually works is that the person at the top can have a lot of influence on what happens with those below. So if Trump doesn't appoint a special prosecutor, the FBI has already weighed in on this and it's over. He's saying he's not going to do that. Some are pointing out that this is, if we're going to be technical or just if we're going to be accurate, this is breaking a promise from the campaign. I don't know if it's the first of many or if this is one that we've just sort of got to give him for the purposes of trying to unify the country, although I think we all know that's nonsense. Not that unity would be nonsense, but it's just not going to happen. They re- they're going to try to get Trump impeached. I think we've seen this already. They're trying to. They're so crazy right now uh, that there's... All these weird schemes, Electoral College maybe will, won't actually vote for them. I mean, people are just, there's such a desperation. You know, we had an election, we saw the tallies in the various states, and there's one side of this. The Democrats originally were saying, oh, well, Trump's not going to accept the results of the election. He's so bad, blah, blah, yada, yada. And now the other side won, and it's in fact the original oh, my gosh, you've got to respect the institutions, people, who are the ones who are now saying, well, you know, I don't know, maybe the will of the people in this election was overrated, or maybe the popular vote's more important than the federal system that we have, federalist system that we have. Maybe uh, states should be dissolved and we should just be all under one D.C.-based super government. This is what they say now, because they're so upset about, about the Hillary win. And it gets even crazier. You ready for this? It's Friday, so we're gonna we're gonna let this rip. We're gonna get wild up in here. Uh, was Hillary? This is from the Daily Mail, which I wish that I wish there were two sort of versions of the Daily Mail, and you can click on the one you want. There's the just looking for really good juicy stories with good headlines, and then there's the like Kardashian, Kanye, and also a lot of just really grotesque, grisly crime stories too. I don't want any of that. I would just like the here are the Daily Mail's top stories, and like that was a different. There should be like a Daily Mail minus all the, those of you who know the website know what I'm talking about. Minus all the really disturbing stuff they put on there, um, that would be my preferred website or my preferred version of it. But here's what they've got uh, up on the up on the mail: Was Hillary robbed of election by hackers? Experts urge Clinton to demand recount after gathering evidence that shows voting anomalies in key states of Michigan. Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. These, these, quote, experts are saying that Clinton's votes in counties where computers count votes were lower than those that use paper ballots. Um, They suggest that hackers may have gotten into the polling machines and artificially 
selected out and destroyed uh, some Clinton votes. And the group includes voting rights and computer experts and is lobbying the Clinton team to demand a recount. Hillary now has people around her who are demanding a recount. Now, I don't think, because it would just be so crazy, I don't think it is realistic um, to expect that Hillary would, would ask for a recount because at that point, whatever dignity the Democratic Party has been sort of pretending to have, I mean, and it's lost, it's lost a lot of it in the last few months, or last few weeks, I mean, well, maybe months too, but in the last few weeks, we've seen the Democratic Party become, <clears throat> become a party of whiners, crybabies, sore losers, sour grapes, you name it. Uh, the fact that now there's discussion of hacking and uh, that this was a rigged election and that this is even out there and it's getting some traction. I mean, if you look at this stuff on social media, you will see that there are individuals who are uh, buying into this. It just goes to show you the the notion of voter fraud was a uh, practically a, a white supremacist plot. If you listen to MSNBC a few weeks ago. The idea that anybody could hack into anything, oh, never. When they were sure Hillary was going to win, you would have never heard any of this talk. When they were sure that Hillary had this in the bag, it was, oh, we must respect our institutions and our, our elections are sacred. And, oh, is Trump going to is Trump going to accept the results? Well, I think the better question now to ask is, is, is Hillary going to accept the results? And I got to say, it seems like there's a, a at least the early stages of the possibility that, no, in fact, she is not going to accept the results. She is going to contest them, or at least those around her are contesting them, or finding some way to make it seem like Donald Trump wasn't really the winner here. They're trying to undermine the election result. Just just this whisper campaign in and of itself does damage to the Trump presidency, and that's what they're trying to do. I remember when there was a huge criticism of Rush Limbaugh, uh, the one and only Rush. Uh, I remember when there was criticism of him for saying I it was at CPAC. I was actually there. I was a CIA officer. I was there with a bunch of my, a bunch of my government, uh, government buddies. We just went to CPAC to go. See, I've been a kind of conservative news and media junkie all along, secretly until I started working in this. And I, I used to spend a lot of uh, a lot of my free time when I was working for the CIA. Reading a, and I was on all the site, right? Foxnews.com, Drudge Report, Town Hall. I knew all the uh, National Review. I knew all the stuff. Right? I was hanging with all the hanging with all the peeps online uh, of the conservative movement. Which, when you're in the CIA, by the way, you stick out if you do that because it's it's a very it's a pretty left place. Uh, there are clearly conservatives who work there, but just like any any federal government institution, it certainly has its. Um, it's statist bent, and that means you've got a lot of Democrats. Uh, where was I on this? I got I got sidetracked for a second. John, what was I talking about a second ago? Oh, Limbaugh. Thank you. Uh, I was at CPAC. It's a little old me. It's like maybe, I guess it would have had it been 2008, right? I was at CPAC, and Limbaugh said he hoped Obama failed, and people were like, oh, how could he? It's so terrible. He's our president, and it's so historic, and oh, it's just the... The tears, the tears. People were so upset. How could Rush say that? And clearly he meant, and I believe he even later, later clarified, he wants his poli- He wants him to fail with regard to 
his policies, some of the things he's going to try to do, because we really disagree on what he's going to try to do. You know, I, I disagree with the president. I mean, Rush obviously did, too. I mean, I disagree with the president on a whole host of issues. I disagree with him on giving amnesty to illegals, uh, at least certainly a blanket amnesty. Um, I disagree with the president. We could sit here for an hour and just talk about all the stuff. I disagree with them. But the point is that should be considered okay. But then, you know, the then and now comparisons are fun. I, I know we're probably going to get tired of them at some point because there's so much. There's so much hypocrisy that you're sort of overwhelmed by. You're kind of drowning in it with the media right now. But then it was it was racist to say that you hoped Obama or his policies failed. And now with Trump, they're not just hoping that he fails. They are they're going to try to destroy this president. And I, I worry because they're going to try to destroy him and use that as a means of regaining power and really taking down the Republican Party with him. And it's one, you know, the can't look, it's amazing what happened with the campaign, I've got to say, because they thought that they could take him out during the campaign, take him out of the political, uh, political contest. And they couldn't. The media thought that they could crush him and they were wrong. But that's the approach they're taking to the presidency now. Um, he's not even in office yet. And you can see it for yourself. There's just a complete uh, freak out that the media is going through. And I shouldn't just say the media. It's a lot of people. I'm being asked on a regular basis by friends of mine who are Democrats or left of center, you know, aren't, aren't you worried? Aren't you worried? And I was like, well, I'm not a cheerleader for the Trump. I'm not saying it's going to be amazing and he's going to fix everything. But I'm not worried. I think it's going to be my my real assessment. This will probably come back to bite me at some point, but I'll just say it. My, my real assessment is that they... Uh, is that this is going to be a much less uh, impactful presidency in terms of things that would upset progressives. And a lot of people realize, I think he's going to do things that are, I think he'll do some good things. Um, I think that the changes in the tax code, corporate tax rate will be good. I think that some of the adjustments he'll make to Obamacare will probably be good. Uh, You know, there's a bunch of stuff. Uh, if he puts the right people in place, by the way, I mean, General Mattis, the secretary of defense, apparently there's some he hasn't been out for seven years of the military and has to be a civilian. I didn't even know this. There's some rule about that. So there have to be a waiver for him. But everybody I know who hears that Mattis may be sec def is like, that's awesome. It's really rare to hear that about an appointee at, the, at that kind of level, I think. Although Gates was Gates was widely respected, I have to say, and that was an Obama appointment. But Gates was a widely respected guy. Um, in, in certainly in the intel community, considered very smart and um, is, you know, a guy who did a, did a, a, fair, a fair enough job, I think, under the circumstances, given that Obama was a commander in chief. Right. So there's only so much he can do. Um, but, yeah, I just want to go back for a second to now the election results are in question. Right now. 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 Maybe there were Russian hackers who broke into polling stations in key states. Now you're hearing this stuff. And there's even some constitutional or legal scholars or whatever they are i think they got their some of them got their legal degrees off the back of a cracker jack box but uh they're saying that the electoral college is the the electoral college is a place where they can stop trump from winning I mean, this is crazy this is just crazy but it's where we are man or we we I kind of thought that maybe there'd be a an inter maybe an interregnum is it I mean is that the right word or at least there'd be a, a sort of down period with the uh, Trump waiting to become president where they'd sort of get the new narratives together and they'd 
and they try to reestablish some credibility with the public so that those of us who have just lost any belief whatsoever in the, quote, journalistic ethics, uh, unquote, of the mainstream media outlets could be lulled back into a false sense of trust. They're not even doing that. They're just full steam ahead. Destroy Trump, destroy Trump, destroy Trump. Uh, it's, it's amazing to watch. And there's all these different theories out there. There's, you know, it may, maybe Hillary should contest the results. Maybe it was hacked into. Maybe the Electoral College. Maybe because of Trump's personal conflicts of interest, he can't be president. It's just, man, it's going to be exciting to lay into some turkey, eat some gluten-free stuffing, and not have to think about this stuff. Or if you're hanging with the Sextons, just you know, talk about how we love America and freedom all on the same page. 888-900-3393. It's not Friday, but this is kind of going to be a free, this is like Freestyle Wednesday because it's the day before Thanksgiving and I'm out tomorrow. So would love to hear from you. I haven't talked to you guys in a couple of days because uh, I had to be down in Dallas for Glenn's show. And this is like the most fun part of my day is getting to chill with all of you. So by all means... Give me a ring, 888-900-3393. What do you think about the Electoral College schemes or the it was stolen from Hillary memes or any of that stuff? Also, if you have a really good Kermit to uh, Kermit to sort of, what is it, John? You know what I'm talking about, the Kermit memes? I'm seeing so many of them on Twitter now. I'm, yeah, Kermit to evil Kermit. Um, if you have one of those, you can tweet, tweet really good ones at me because I find some of them very amusing. All right, back in a few. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth on the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, our wonderful and loyal sponsor for this half hour is Yankee Hill Machine. They have the Black Rifle Friday sale coming up. So they've got all kinds of sale items. If you go to YHM.net, you'll see what I'm talking about. You've been good this year. Why, why not get yourself a little early Christmas present or somebody else in your family? Get them a new custom AR, maybe some accessories. Make sure that you're all kitted up and ready to go when you're out at the range. They've also got suppressors if you want to get one of those. Get an AR and a suppressor. That's what I call a Merry Christmas, yo. Check it out. YHM.net, Yankee Hill Machine. They are YHM.net. These guys are great. Check out the site. You'll see they got really cool stuff. You'll be like, ooh, I like this website, YHM.net. Darby in Dallas. Good to talk to you, my friend. You're on the Buck Sexton Show. What is up? Good morning, Buck. Just wanted to get your opinion about something, whether or not the Democrats actually really want to look into any sort of voting irregularities or hacking or anything like that with the election. Do you think there's a possibility that they may also find uh, possible voter fraud on the Democrat side uh, of the equation? Well, if we looked into things, first of all, if, if they really did, a, was there some voter fraud in this election? Almost certainly. Was it enough to matter? Probably not. Almost certainly not, to be honest with you. Uh, and when you look at it, uh, when you look at it now, and just sort of for the record, I remember reading the whole articles about how polling places aren't connected to the Internet, so you can't hack into that. You know, there's all that. Now it's, oh, no, the Russians are amazing. They can do anything, right? So they've changed that whole tune. Um, I, I, if the Democrats tried to cheat or not, doesn't really matter because they lost, right? So it, it's it's in, in, a, in a sense it's kind of a moot point. Um, but yeah, do I think that there were probably some illegals who voted? Sure. Do I think there are people who uh, 
uh, realized. I mean, the, the people keep saying, well, you know, wh- why would any one individual do this and, and, and vote? Well, people do a lot of dumb things, and uh, it's almost impossible to get caught. Right. That's, that's part of it, too. They, they don't look into this and they don't track people down. They don't care. So we'll see. But I, I don't know, Dar- Darby, how much uh, how much cheating there was in the Democrats. It probably was some. Uh, but we don't know. I get the feeling, I get, I get the feeling with the Democrat Party, it, it almost feels to me as though if they couldn't cheat, they would never win. And and maybe I'm maybe I'm over examining or maybe I'm thinking too much into it. But just want to get your opinion. Listen, while I got you, have a have a good Thanksgiving. Buddy. Hey, I'll, Darby, I'll, I'll, happy Thanksgiving, my man. Great to hear from you as always. You have a great time with your friends, uh, family, and loved ones. All right, Shields High. Eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three on those phones. Let's talk about some stuff. Maybe even some stuffing because it's Thanksgiving. Oh, that was weak. That was weak. I'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, 888-900-3393. I love it. we got calls coming in. Kate in Tennessee. What is up? Hi, Buck. How you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Oh, pretty well. You know, working just like you. Hey, you going with a big? You going with a big turkey for tomorrow? Or you do something non-traditional? Um, I my daughter has to work third shift, so we're probably going to celebrate it Friday or Saturday. I'm not really sure. <laughs> nice. Don't let convention <laughs> box you into a Thursday Thanksgiving. You'd be Thanksgiving. You'd be thankful whenever you want, Kate. Um, well, I'm an American. I'm always thankful. Wow. And then I get to talk to you, and that's like double thanks. So <laughs> We need to make a soundbite out of this. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> well, you know, you tell the greatest stories. Oh, thank you. And the other day, um, I had my Pandora on, and I have a bunch of music that I listen to, and Weird Al came on, and there was a song called uh, Party in the CIA. And it immediately made me think about you. And I was wondering, you're conservative. And then you just mentioned how it's, you know, kind of lefty in the CIA. What made you, with your intelligence, and I looked your background up, I mean, you are an incredibly intelligent man. What made you go with the CIA? I need to have Kate call in every day, by the way. We need to have like a special Kate segment. Uh, (laughs) Kate, uh, (laughs) first of all, thank you very much. It's very kind of you. Um, 
I, you know, after 9-11, I, I thought that, um, look, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, I gave up. It was pretty, it was early on in the sense that I was still a sophomore in college, but I was like, all right, um, if I was occasionally known to smoke a little marijuana, it no longer happened because I knew that that would be an issue for uh, the agency and for security clearances. It was the first job I applied for. Um, I, I felt like that was sort of the, the call for my generation to do something. And the CIA mm-hmm. just appealed to me. I, I can't even I don't even remember when I started thinking about it, other than I knew I wanted to sort of get involved in the the hunt for bin Laden in some way. And, and that was the And by the way, a lot of my colleagues my, who are my age, the CIA, tell very similar stories. And of course, a lot of my friends on the military side had, had a similar uh, reaction to it. I knew very little. I mean, right now, of course, I, I have a lot of friends who are former CIA. I know a bunch of people who are still there. Who some are very senior, and some are sort of just uh, you know doing the everyday the everyday work. Uh, I didn't know enough about it, for example, to even know the difference between really a case officer and an analyst when I applied. And had I known, I, I probably would have actually applied to be a case officer instead. Uh, I thought case officers, and many people ask me this, have to have a military background or like you know ninja skills or something because I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really understand what the job entailed, and now that I do, I have to laugh whenever people think that they're ninjas. I'm like, trust me, case officers are not are not ninjas. Um, but yeah, the uh, that that was it. I just it was 9/11. I'm a New Yorker. I, I thought I would try to do my part and. It seemed like a more interesting path than going to Wall Street, trying to make as much money as quickly as I could. So that's mm-hmm. how it worked. That's, and it was the first job I applied for, uh, senior year of college. First full-time job I wanted, uh, I got. Uh, it took a while. Wow. But yeah, that's, that's how it went. And then I showed up there, and then there was a lot, of, a lot of readjusting of expectations and a lot of being smacked by reality. It was like, whoa, this is the CIA? We used to joke around <laughs> that there must be another CIA somewhere in, like, sort of in a hollowed-out volcano. That was where like, the real CIA happened, but... Um, there was some very interesting stuff. I mean, when I was there, it was a particularly interesting time to be there. And, and um, I think being an analyst during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and the global war on terror, you got to sort of experience a lot more and get out there much more than you would have being a sort of Soviet nukes analyst from the 70s, right? So it was mm-hmm. – uh, I got a little more out there. But, yeah, that, that was it. I, I didn't know much about it. I had no friends who had been CIA. I had no family connections. I had no nothing. It just was an idea that popped into my head, and I ran with it. So that's it. Well, so. I think you ought to write a book. Oh, thanks, Kate. But it would it would it would t- it would be a lot of a lot of me telling well, funny I mean, a lot of me telling funny stories uh, out in the little courtyard having coffee with you know former Green Beret or something who happens to be working with us you know stuff like that. So we'll see. There, there. I mean, there are tons of books out there that you know they're like, oh, these are bestsellers, and I read the first chapter, I'm like, oh, please, I could do better. I mean, people would probably love to read stuff like that. I don't know. Thanks, Kate. I've actually talked to some. Uh, there's some publishing houses that have been asking. Now we're just like we're just putting all the cards on the table, team. That have been asking me to write books for a while. Write a book for a while. I, I feel very strongly that the first book I put out has to be really good, and I have to really believe in it and want to do it. A lot of other people feel like you put your first book, then do your second, maybe your third is good. Uh, I've got an idea that I'm trying to sort of pull together and, and get going with. My only thing about writing uh, about my time in the agency would be, one, I mean, I have to run it through them, and they're going to they're gonna redact mm-hmm. all, all kinds of stuff, which some of it I understand, but, I mean, I could write a book 
right now without them. Ha- and I, I know it should be redacted, but they would they would write or rather they would redact stuff that's just crazy. But they do that. They'd redact, you know, and then Buck had three cups of coffee that morning. They're like, they can't know how much caffeine you have. I mean, it's really they really get crazy about that stuff. Um, and the other side of it is, you know, I wasn't a I wasn't a door kicker and I wasn't I wasn't in combat. So. People who are used to reading uh, books, which are I mean, amazing books, like either uh, Lone Survivor or um, uh, American Sniper or, you know, you, you name it, any of these, uh, I think they'd be like, OK, so Buck's telling like amusing anecdotes about briefing stupid members of Congress. I, I don't know if this is really what I thought I was <laughs> signing up for, but I could. I could. Kay from Tennessee, have no, a happy. F- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, OK. No, no, go no ahead. I, was, I was just going to say there. Um, I got to meet. um uh, Colonel Oliver North a couple years ago, and I picked up his book, Counterfeit Lies, and that's about an ex-CIA agent, if I remember correctly. And, I mean, it was a wonderful book. I mean, it would make a great movie. And, I mean, you could do something along the lines or even a history book because, I mean, you will always give us a new history lesson every week, and that would be something. Thank you. I, I, I really, I'll tell you my idea, and I'm sure someone's going to now, someone listening is going to be like, oh, that's a good idea. I was thinking about doing a series, uh, sort of a podcast history series um, that would be uh, essentially like the great battles between Christendom and Islam all throughout history. Um, I, I just feel like that would be a, that's sort of a cool, it's very interesting. It's, it tells you a lot actually about the way the world is even now because of how things you know, go talk about uh, wars. There are wars that happened or, or battles that happened in the Balkans that if you walk around Serbia or, you know, you, you're walking down in downtown Belgrade, you mentioned and they act like it happened yesterday. I mean, they, they're very aware of it. So um, that's another idea. But yes, Kate, I'm thinking about all these things. Thank you for calling in and uh, Shields High. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Shields High and you have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much, Kate. Uh, Eddie in Virginia. You're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hey, man, Shield Tie, how are you? Shield Tie, buddy, I'm all right. Always open with a joke. I heard the CIA just figured out they've been highlighting all the important stuff with Black Magic Marker. Oh, yeah, that's where the, that's, that's where the fun funny. stuff okay. is. Well, I, I tried. Um, you know, I, I voted for Donald Trump, and, you know, there was three big reasons. Uh, he was going to prosecute Hillary, build a wall, and take care of the military. Um, and, uh, I, you know, he came out with the whole law and order thing, and... Honestly, he really doesn't even interject himself into that. He just needs to let the grinding wheels of justice do what they do and sit at his desk and sign bills when Congress submits them to him. I don't, I don't get it. And, well, you and don't, I'm, I'm sorry, you don't get what exactly? I mean, all of a sudden, you know, and I guess this is just how the system has evolved over, over the years since it was originally founded, but, you know, the president shouldn't just jump in the Department of Justice and be like, oh, no, no, don't, don't investigate that. That shouldn't be his role. Uh, well, look, the the, pre- the only way that there would be they've already had a D- the DOJ's done with the Hillary stuff, right? They've already made that clear. And they're supposed to be. I know some of you are going to laugh when I say this. They're supposed to be a nonpartisan, uh, nonpartisan organization. And so given that they've said we're, we're done here, there's no charges. The only way that would change is if the president of the United States appointed a special prosecutor. Uh, or I should say, ha- you know, told the attorney general to appoint a special prosecutor, but it, it's the president can do that, and that is uh, that's the only way. So if, if Trump doesn't do that, nothing happens. You see what I'm saying? So Trump yeah. is essentially saying he's not going to 
reopen this thing by appointing a special prosecutor. I do love the theory, though, that Trump is saying it so Obama won't partner because that will look bad. But then maybe he comes into office and is like, psych, I'm going after her. Would be hilarious. Would also be a reference to how we used to speak in the 90s with psych. But, yeah, um, I think that that's not going to happen, but it would be interesting. No, it won't happen, man. But I appreciate I appreciate your love. Take him a call, man. I just started listening not too long ago. It's uh, it's uh, pretty entertaining. So well, uh, keep it up, thank, brother. Thank you very much. I try. Shields high, Eddie. Thank you for calling in. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll take pretty entertaining. I like it. Uh, yeah, no, the Hillary thing—they're just not—it's not, not going to prosecute. I don't know if when people say Trump's going to build a wall, I think he's going to improve the wall. I think he'll improve the southern border. I think that there'll be. I think he'll tell the Border Patrol to do their jobs. I remember just a few months ago, or maybe it was a little more than that, I spoke to a Border Patrol agent, just sort of came across socially and said, what you, how secure is the border and what, what did he tell me at the numbers? He's like, the border is not secure and the numbers are the numbers are a joke. They're inaccurate. There are many more crossing um, back and forth than we know about. And people, look, there, there's the whole change in how they calculate the numbers. So you, you got to know right then and there, there's some funny business going on. But yeah, the border patrol, uh, border patrol, will be able to do their jobs and not be in fear anymore. And I gotta say, and you can uh, talk to my my friend and and former colleague uh, Tara Setmayer was very involved in this, and she'll tell you all about it. Um, I, I keep telling her I should I should get Tara to you know weigh in on this at some point. I keep telling her she should write a book about it, and I think it would make a very interesting movie. Uh, Ramos and uh, Campeon, uh, the two border agents who were in a basically a shootout with a drug smuggler, and they were going to get 10 years in federal prison for it because they didn't talk, you know, they didn't, the long, the very short version of the very long story is they uh, they fired and they didn't, they didn't say that they fired and they actually hit him. And uh, there were, there was a U.S. attorney who went after them in Texas and it was a big mess. That sends a message. And that was under the Bush administration. I got to say, Bush wasn't good on the border, everybody. You're wondering about that. Bush was really not good on the border. Um, the Bush family, Jeb included, very soft on immigration. And I always think it's so interesting that when we talk about immigration, there's there's never uh, no one seems to be willing to say that immigration from Latin America is because of geography, illegal immigration, pardon me, from Latin America because of geography is sort of given this de facto privilege over immigration from the rest of the world. And we never discuss that. Uh, we're never able to have a conversation about how, wait, really Mexico and Central America and, and a few other regions to our south are much more, you know, there's an advocacy for illegal immigration that's really actually a, a sort of uh, nationalistic advocacy for the ability of people in those countries to at will come to America, right? It's in their specific interest. Um, but I'm getting a little off topic here, but that's what's going to happen on days like today. Uh, phones are open, 888-900-3393. If you want to chat with me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Much more coming. I'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show only 
on the Blaze Radio Network. I sat down to dinner last night with my older brother. It was, uh, we're celebrating his birthday, and it just came to me. It was a number of us at the table. Uh, where does turkey come from? <laughs> it's like, where do babies come from? But no, really, where does the na- why do we have a country named Turkey and a bird named Turkey? It can't just be coincidence, right? Aha! So I did some digging. I did a bit of the looking. I found some things, very interesting things about the turkey. I don't know why I've like got my Einstein German philosopher voice on. Uh, but So I decided to take a look into this. Check this out. So Turks are, as you know, Turkic peoples. Uh, Turk has been around for a long time, describing a, a group of people originally sort of nomadic horsemen from the central Eurasian steppe, and then they came over to what's now the Ottoman Empire, and a guy named Osman led a clan, and then that's where we got Ottoman. And it's also what you put your feet on because they like low furniture. Ottoman, side note. Okay. Turkey, uh, the bird, gobble, gobble. Uh, turkeys were oh, – there's two. There's a couple theories about this because they're really a, a form of uh, guinea hen or they were considered to be a form of guinea hen. And it's thought that when the Europeans came to the Americas, there are two theories. The Europeans came to the Americas, and somehow there were already some turkeys here, and they misidentified them as the same sort of guinea fowl that existed, I believe, actually in Madagascar. But the Turkish Empire, the Ottoman Empire, um, had been importing these birds around for a while, and they thought that the birds that Turkish merchants in the Ottoman Empire in the 16th century were, you know, exporting to places or importing to places. Um, They thought that it was the same bird, so they called them turkey fowl because they were like the birds that the Turkish merchants would take around. Sort of like, you know how they called America like Indians? Turkey is kind of a similar thing, except no one ever thinks of it this way, right? The American Indians weren't Indians, but we just sort of call them Indians, Uh of course, Native Americans and Turkey were really a totally separate species of bird, but they thought it was this guinea fowl that was common or becoming commonplace because of the Ottoman Empire shipping it around. And so they associated this bird that looked like the guinea fowl with Turkish merchants. They started calling them turkey fowl, and that's how we get turkey. Boom! Shake, shake the room. Look at that. Um that's one. The other one is that they maybe brought the birds back from America if they were already indigenous to this country when the European merchants. And in Europe, the, the British started calling them turkey fowl because of the interactions with the Ottoman merchants. So essentially, the Ottomans, the Turks were moving birds around that were guinea fowl that looked like these birds. And they were like, yo, those must be turkey fowl. And now you're eating turkey. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome to our two day before Thanksgiving. Yay! 
We're joined by David French. He is a senior fellow at the National Review Institute. He's going to talk to us about some stuff. David, great to have you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, let's talk about some of your pieces up on NRO. Start with uh, Trump just wisely violated a campaign promise. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. I do not think that prosecuting Hillary would be a good idea, and people are very mad at me for this because I said all along that what she did was criminal, but I still think that he's making the right move here. But he is kind of lying, is, or not. Well, maybe, should we say lying, David? I don't know. I'll let you, I'll let you phrase it how you see fit. <laughs> well, he's breaking a promise. I mean, That's what I mean. He's breaking that. a promise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he in no uncertain terms said he'd ask a special prosecutor to look into her situation. I mean, that was in my piece. I put the video clip up. So, But here's the thing. Here's what people need to realize. When he said that, when he said that he would do that, what he was doing was breaking with American law enforcement tradition and customs that are there for a very good reason. Uh, we do not want presidents of the United States singling out any given American citizen for prosecution or outside of using their pardon power, relieving them from prosecution. So uh, that is supposed to be the job of an investigator and a prosecutor working hand in hand, going where the law and evidence dictate. Uh, They should be free from political influence. Now, I know politics gets involved sometimes, but that's always improper and it should never set a precedent. And so that's my issue. If Trump is saying, I'm going to stay out of it. That's a that is violating a campaign process uh, promise, but it's exactly what presidents should do. They should stay out of a prosecution decision completely. It's not their job. Uh, so that that's my key point. What do you think about the prospect of Trump pardoning Hillary in the new year? Mm-hmm. Just because there'd be a lot of that would do a lot of things. But what do you think about that as a move? Uh, you know, I don't think Hillary wants to be pardoned. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. I think she she wants uh, she wants this all to just disappear, um, and a pardon would put it front and center. I don't think it'd be make that much difference one way or the other in in American history. Um, she's already sort of being disappeared down the Democrats' memory hole. Uh, they're analyzing the selection as if she never even ran. <laughs> they're they're only looking at what uh, at why people voted for Donald Trump. They're not even examining why people might have voted against Hillary Clinton. Um, she is going to recede from the public square, uh, from the public scene, and this would just put her back in the news for about 72 hours in a way that she wouldn't want, but then it would fade and go away. It's not that big a deal either way. By the way, what do you make of the – it is early stage, but it's Daily Mail. A few other sites have this – Hillary senior, uh, I don't even know what they're, what they're describing them as, like computer scientist experts and voting experts are saying that Hillary should contest the election results. Do you, is there any universe in which you see that happening? No, it's completely idiotic. <laughs> and the irony of it all is I don't know if you followed this uh, controversy over whether fake news handed Trump the election. Oh, yeah. Um, these, you know, these websites out of Macedonia trafficking and rumors and whatnot. Well, you know, this is this is the liberal version of fake news. I, it, it's it's just stupidity is what it is. And it reminds me of back in 04 when George W. Bush won reelection and he won reelection in large part because he won Ohio in a narrow victory. And the left went nuts for weeks and months with conspiracy theories 
that John Kerry really won Ohio. So, uh, you know, the, the irony, though, of course, is that when Trump was calling the system rigged, the entire there was an avalanche of commentary talking about how deeply destructive that was to American democracy. And now, you know, that Hillary lost all of a sudden, guess what? It's OK to question whether the system was rigged. It, you know, it's just the, the hypocrisy just has to make you laugh. Now, David, I know you're you're former military and, and also a, a lawyer. So I'm going to draw upon the lawyer side of things. Another day we'll draw upon the former military side. Today, the lawyer side, though, the electoral uh, the, the electoral college scheme that people are talking about to try to deny Trump. How, how is that even supposed to work? What do you know what I'm talking about? This is also getting, well, you know, not fake news, but crap news. Right. Well, you know, electors are real people. They're actual human beings. Electors are people, too. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, there's always this this uh, when, when there's a very close election, there's this wish that some people have that electors will be faithless electors. In other words, they will cast votes separate from the way their state voted. There was some talk about this in the run up to 2000 when uh, George W. Bush had a barely a majority, 270, I believe, to 268. And in that circumstance, even one faithless elector could have turned the whole thing. But, you know, it's it's as rare as the hills that that happens. I'm, I can't recall when it happened last, if it happened. Um, and then the other thing is Trump's electoral majority is the biggest electoral majority since um, it's the biggest electoral majority since um, George H.W. Bush beat Michael Dukakis, Republican electoral majority. So. That's again. It's just all fantasy. Uh, it's it's a product of a movement that, until about 10 p.m. Eastern time on the night of the election, did not think that they had any chance of losing, and so they had absolutely no opportunity to prepare themselves psychologically or intellectually for that. And and they're flailing around in a lot of denial right now. Now, there's been a lot of talk in the last week, a lot of media coverage as well of this meeting of i believe it was in the, the 100 to 200 person range of uh neo-nazis what are they uh you know white nationalists uh, whatever however they, right. they self-describe in, in dc more the, the most media coverage of a 100 to 200 person group i've seen in a long time uh <laughs> but the the media is focusing on this a lot and now they want the trump campaign to come out and and distance themselves from the alt-right uh, how do you think that process is going now? I mean, what, what what should Trump what should Trump do? I mean, David, I know you've dealt with a lot. You dealt with a lot of the ugliest of the ugly when it comes to trolls and uh, the alt right, the what all the stuff that was going on online. What do you think the Trump campaign needs to do now so that people no longer think that there's some connection or you know open minded people? Some people are going to think that Trump is ahead of the KKK no matter what. But to those who are right. willing to listen, what should be done? Well, I mean, look. Here's the problem. Um, I think Trump was right to denounce them and to disavow them and to say he doesn't want to do anything to energize them. He said all those things yesterday. Um, But, you know, we have a problem here, and that is during the campaign, hundreds of writers and journalists were subjected to an unprecedented campaign of hate and threats and intimidation when they dared to criticize Donald Trump. That is a big problem. What is also a big problem is the website Breitbart.com, run by Steve Bannon, was became a platform for alt-right apologetics. And he even called his website a platform for the alt-right. And so Bannon was – I can't look into his heart and know if he's a racist or not, 
But what I what is pretty apparent is that he was all too willing to use those people during this smash mouth period of the election to get what he wanted and to foster his cause. And now everyone's distancing themselves from it. So my view is, you know, the the alt right is I think it's new to me because it's new. Right. That's fair to say this didn't exist until the last or or at least wasn't anything that anybody talked about the last 12 or 18 months or so, something like that, unless I'm unless I'm missing something. Uh, But, you know, we had uh, Milo Yiannopoulos a couple of times on the show. And he was sort of presenting the all, and he was at Breitbart. I don't know if he's still there. He was presenting the yes, alt right as you know, this is where you can actually say things like uh, female characters in video games are allowed to be sort of you know uh, I- I- idealized, and that feminists are no fun. And he was presenting this different uh, side, or not a different <laughs> side, but this side of the all right that was you know essentially anti PC. And then somewhere along the well, line, it became the the alt right was oh no the alt right is like national socialist you know white power lunatics, it, it, which is it is is it is it both is it really just one and the others uh, a false bo- advertisement bo- for it what do you see well it's both it's both so you can be a white nationalist and anti PC at the same time right I mean there are an awful lot of mainstream conservatives who are anti PC the alt right is something else entirely and where Milo is disingenuous as he knows full well what these people do and what his allies do. And that's, in fact, one of the reasons why he was banned from Twitter is because, you know, he would uh, take on a target in pop culture. And then his followers in the alt-right would latch on and attack that target in the most vicious way imaginable. And he knew all this was happening. I mean, he absolutely knew it. And so a little, it's a, it's a bit disingenuous. Look, I've been fighting political correctness uh, my entire career. I've filed more First Amendment cases against PC universities than maybe any other living lawyer, one case after case after case. You don't have to do things like uh, engage in vile anti-Semitic imagery or put tweet out pictures of my daughter in a gas chamber to be anti-PC. And so this was going on for months and months and months. These guys knew it was going on. In the middle of it, Steve Bannon says we're the platform for the alt-right. I mean, that that's – I'm sorry. I'm just not uh, going to excuse that. I'm not going to um, rationalize that. I'm not going to justify it. They have to own it. But now that they won, now that they have to govern, they're, go- they're distancing themselves as if the last 12, 18 months didn't happen. But they happened. They happened, and so now what should they do? I mean, what what could the administration? Well, what steps could be taken that would make you feel like you know what they? Uh, e- even if they don't get it in the sense that they're not deeply sorry about it because they won, and I don't, and, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know what Bannon and Trump h- how they really feel about all of that. Well, it's pretty simple. I mean, I I don't think Trump is all that aware of the alt right. I mean, I haven't seen any indication. He's retweeted some white supremacist accounts. But, you know, who the heck knows if he even knew they were when he was doing it, although they had weird names. But um, who knows what he thought? I'm not going to attribute that to him. I haven't seen him um, tie himself or ally himself with the alt-right. But get, get Steve Bannon out of his chief strategist position. I mean, so Bannon, bo- the, whole, the Bannon thing bothers you, David, is what I want. That's what, a I mean. Great deal. It does. Yeah, OK, absolutely. absolutely. I don't I don't know the Why? guy at all. I've never interacted with him. I've never had any. All I know is kind of what I read about from his tenure. At, I, quite honestly, I hadn't even really heard of him until, I don't know, maybe a year ago yeah. or so. 
the idea that he is the only extraordinarily talented strategist that can be allied with the Trump administration at this point, I mean, it's just fundamentally false. And you've got a guy, especially when you have had so many people, um, conservatives, liberals, moderates, who have had, you know, people have had to buy security systems for the first time, getting police involved in investigation, investigating threats on their lives. You know, we're not, my wife and I are not big time public figures who can employ security guards full time and all of that. And yet we've had to fear for our family's safety for more than a year from the very alt-right that he says he provided a platform for. So, you know, look, I mean, I can't look into his heart. I hope he's sorry about that. I, um, but what about that means that he should be a chief strategist in the White House? Uh, so is it would you say it's your opinion or, or is it fair to say that even though and I, I think I got this from you before when I asked you about it. And, and again, I'm I don't know. The alt the alt right to me is still I, I didn't deal with them as you know, I, I haven't dealt with when I say deal with them. I haven't seen as much as, as a lot of others like you have seen of what they've done. Um, but there are people who are who would consider themselves alt right who aren't white nationalist supremacists, Nazis, all, all of that very obviously evil and vile stuff. But because oh, really? the, the, but the quotient of the, the quote, I'm sorry. I said, oh, really? Oh, no, I, I'm asking. So, so that's a no, because yeah. I was going to say I'm getting a sense from you that there's enough of the alt right is infected with that, that it's it's not like they need to cut off a limb. This is actually a, a diseased body. That's where I was trying to, it to is go with it thoroughly. Com- yeah, thoroughly. It is. It is a, a fundamentally uh, an ethno nationalist movement. In other words, uh, it's a rejection of uh, any notion that America can be uh, a multi-ethnic, a vibrant multi-ethnic dem- uh, democracy. It is identifying. Um, it is identifying our civilization as fundamentally white uh, as its as its distinguishing characteristic. Um, it is so. You do have some of these guys who. Yeah, they roll their eyes, and this was this Gamergate portion of it. That Milo That's what I was thinking you. of. I mean, those guys don't strike yeah. me as neo-Nazis, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, but you know what they also did was many of the same tactics that they used against uh, Trump opponents like me is the exact same kinds of threats and attacks. So it's one thing to roll your eyes at PC influencing games, another thing entirely to put people's home addresses on the web um, and to put them under direct fear for their lives because you have a political disagreement. And, oh yeah, and I, I had friends at CNN who had to be right. escorted into the building because and they were they were conservatives, they were Republicans. Yeah, because of yeah. Uh, because of Trump alt right supporters threatening their lives, and and, and I saw some. Of, I, they showed me some of the threats. So okay, the, 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 it's not to there's not there's not a fight going on between alt right and neo Nazis or national socialists. And <laughs> no. no, no, the whole the whole thing should be thrown out. The administration should just disavow it across the board. And you feel that that sure. also means that Bannon's got to go. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, um, I am not the PC police, but Bannon, in his own words, said he turned Breitbart into the platform of the alt right. And when you understand what the alt-right is, you begin to get an understanding of the gravity, what he did and what he said. And so, you know, that's that's a real problem if you want to be president of the United States of America. I mean, Bannon is a guy who likes to destroy people. He's, as people who've worked with him say, is one of the most vicious people that they've ever met. And And I would just ask people to flip it around. Imagine if a President Clinton put in the, uh, uh, you know, a few feet from the Oval Office as a t- chief strategist, a person who had unleashed 
an incredibly um, hostile, say, new Black Panther movement on uh, on critics, on Hillary's critics, to the point where they had to fear for their lives, uh, and then bragged that they were a platform for the new Black Panther movement. And then when they put them close to the to uh, you know put them right next to the Oval Office, you go, oh well, they're not really a hateful person. None of us would believe it. Not one conservative would believe it. But people are so flush with victory, and they're so willing to overlook all of the unpleasantness of the primary and the general election that they're wanting to – they're just engaging in wishful thinking. All right, David, we got to leave it there. really appreciate your time today. David French is a senior fellow at the National Review Institute. He also writes for nationalreview.com. Check out his pieces there, and he's David A. French on Twitter. Great to have you, David. Thanks. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Hey, thanks so much for having me, and you too. Uh, Team, we'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show. You know, coffee is great to give me a little uh, pickup in the morning, but you know what also is awesome? And you should check it out for yourself and see Super Beats can help you with stamina, energy, awareness. They are really doing great stuff over at Super Beats. You should check it out. Beets, in case you didn't know, are a nutrition gold mine. They're rich in vitamins, minerals, electro- electrolytes, and dietary nitrates. And Super Beets is the easiest way to get the benefits of beets. But it tastes much better. They've got a special drying process. You just put in some water. It is delicious. There's no sugary taste like with energy drinks, and it doesn't make me crash. It's all natural. So I can tell you that I feel like this gives me extra energy, and it's a really cool product, and you'll see for yourself if you give it a shot. So please call 800-311-4367 or go to teambuckbeats.com. You get a 30-day supply free. It comes with your first order and is backed by a money-back guarantee. Also receive a free book, Beat the Odds, and free shipping on your entire order. You'll love the results you feel with your first free canister guaranteed or your money back. That is 800-311-4367 or go to teambuckbeats.com. 800-311-4367, teambuckbeats.com. Super Beats. Check them out. Uh, if you are on hold, we will get to you. Uh, so please stay with us. We're going to go into a break here. We're going to come back. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be very exciting. I'm really selling this commercial break here in terms of how awesome it's going to be on the other side. But I'm telling you it's going to be good stuff. Uh, we got a guest. Then we'll take calls. Talk about some more fun stuff. Hey, you learned about turkey today. How? Let's be honest for a second, everybody. How many of you knew that about turkey? Gobble, gobble. Come on now. Keep it real. Uh, I should probably come up with some other interesting Thanksgiving facts. I'm pretty sure there are three places in the United States named Turkey. I've got other stuff. You're going to have to come back if you want to hear it. 888-900-3393. Be right back. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show. 
Team, we're very happy to be joined by Emily Zanotti. She is the political editor at Heat Street. Emily, thank you for giving us a call. Thanks for having me on. So I want to talk to you about some uh, very interesting stuff you guys have up on heatstreet.com. Um, I've heard of leftists and liberals referred to as delicate snowflakes, particularly in the aftermath yeah. of Trump's victory over Hillary Clinton. But now they're trying to find solace in mermaids. Do please explain. They are. It turns out that mermaids are a hot item right now. Everybody wants mermaid stuff. They love mermaid items. And liberals are now finding solace in a kingdom under the sea to help them deal with Donald Trump's elections. They're imagining themselves as mermaids cut off from, you know, the life on land <laughs> and uh, to keep them going into this new year here. So the mermaid thing has become cool because then you're under the sea uh, and, you know, that means that you don't have to deal with Trump's destruction of the republic, basically. Right. Obviously, you know, on land, we're going to be dealing with the complete downfall of all civilized society because Donald Trump has been elected. So they're going to uh, retreat under the water and pretend to be mermaids for the next few months, I suppose, or perhaps for the next few years. Um, Little Mermaid in the best five Disney movies of all time, Emily. Yes or no? Absolutely. Oh, okay. All right. It doesn't make it for uh, guys tend not to be as excited about the Little Mermaid, but I know a lot of ladies think that it's in in the top I, I'm, I'm more of a of yeah. an aladdin lion king guy myself but so there's the little mermaid all right beauty and the beast at the top but little mermaids in my top five i will tell you that i i actually do think beauty and the beast is a fantastic animated film i believe it was the first animated film ever nominated for the best picture oscar in fact mm-hmm. and anything yeah. that has uh angela lansbury as a teapot is just amazing <laughs> True story. Okay, sorry. Let's get on something else now. So um, tell me a bit about Pizzagate. I had heard nothing about this. You've got this on HeatStreet.com. The title of the piece is Pizzagate Spurs Endless Harassment of DC Pizzeria and Ensnares Kanye West. What the what? Yes. So Pizzagate comes out of the WikiLeaks emails that came out before the election. John Podesta um, is actually a pizza aficionado. He's an Italian food chef, and he loves pizza. And so he talked about pizza almost endlessly in his WikiLeaks uh, in his WikiLeaks email. And so the internet tried to piece this all together and they discovered somehow in their hive mind, Reddit and 4chan, that John Podesta was actually part of an international criminal sex ring running out of a pizza parlor in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and it's completely bizarre and the further you go into it, um, the weirder it gets. But Kanye West obviously had a mental breakdown earlier this week, and so clearly he knew something, and now the federal government is trying to keep him under wraps. So this is all a a Clinton conspiracy um, headquartered out of a pizza parlor in D.C. Ah, I see. Okay, so this is just like the Internet has has done what it does, and but but the people that work at this pizzeria are actually, there's real consequences for them. Yeah, actually, um, there's a battle going on on their Yelp page between people who really have been at the pizzeria and who are giving one star because Hillary Clinton is running conspiracy there. Um, There are people who are showing up and actually giving, calling the pizza place with death threats over uh, their ties to John Podesta. So it's a, it's a really fascinating sort of crossover from 
uh, internet hive mind into real life. Poor <laughs> uh, Kanye now, West. Just can't catch a break. Yeah, Kanye. I mean, I, I, one moment he's saying that he voted for Trump. The next moment he's saying Hillary is like the old school. And then he's 90 minutes late to a concert. He does three songs. He walks off stage. I don't know. Kanye might be having a Britney Spears moment here. I think he is. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's in for some rough stuff. Uh, political strategist Roger Stone, probably most famous or, well, most recognizable for the enormous tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back. True, true fun fact. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, you're aware of that one. Um, so he says he's been kicked out of his apartment over Donald Trump's support. One, do you buy it? Two, have you heard of anybody else that has landlord uh, that has landlord issues because of their Trump support? I asked because I got to renew my lease soon. Yeah, and I was thinking, you know, I've got a I've got a few friends in the city of Chicago who could probably use some advice on that. Um, this is the first time we've heard of a landlord not renewing a lease. Uh, Roger Stone was part of the Trump campaign until about early August, and then they had a disagreement. And he left the campaign. Uh, he's Obviously a very political figure. I'm not sure how they missed that he was a Republican up until now. But uh, supposedly he says that his landlord of four years uh, says he will not renew his lease on his Upper East Side apartment. Now, uh, he Roger Stone actually makes his living in Fort Lauderdale. That's where he spends most of his time. But he has this Upper East Side apartment. Simply, it seems to torture people in the Upper East Side of New York. He likes to run around in his Nixon shirt or with his shirt off and his tattoo hanging out. So it's, it's a, it, he's finally run afoul of his neighbors. But in this case, it's, it's uh, pretty unfair. Yeah, it seems, seems like you shouldn't, you know, but hey, this, this is the, the, the world we're living in now, unfortunately. People this are, are so freaked out. In, yeah. They're so freaked out about Trump's victory that they're taking it out on anybody and everyone. Uh, speaking of people being freaked out, liberal parents are forcing children to write letters to Trump, begging him to be kind. I have to say, I've always hated this. There was this, uh, this was happening in recent weeks, this ploy where people would say, this is the letter, an open letter about what I'm going to tell my, you know, five-year-old about Donald Trump or something. Right. I know Aaron yeah. Sorkin did this. I mean, the most self-righteous, self-indulgent, <laughs> nauseating people in the, in the media of the planet. Yeah. I mean, first of all, your five-year-old doesn't care who's president. Let's start with that. <laughs> right. Your five-year-old probably doesn't really even know who's president. And some of these letters, I mean, if you look at these letters, they're clearly written by a parent standing over their child telling them, please tell Donald Trump to be nice. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's a bizarre thing. They've started with their children and their upsetting kids. I mean, even the American uh, Academy of Pediatrics says you need to talk to your children about Trump. Well, I, I don't think there's going to be any lasting psychological damage except maybe from having to write these letters. I, I just can't imagine my, my parents standing over and making me write a letter. to a pre First of all, this is crazy on so many levels. The president's not going to read the letter. If the president read the letter, which is never going to happen, wouldn't care what's in the letter. And the kid that's writing the letter doesn't even really know what's in it or any of the issues at hand. And you'd think the parent would have a better means of trying to get their message out there than force their little. Like, th th this is insanity. Th th these people need help. The, the parents need help. Yeah. And these letters say things like, please don't bomb Iran and please don't sexually harass women and. We really need to be kind to all people. And I am a five-year-old, and my best friend is, is Muslim. Please don't lock up my best friend. And it, it's really patronizing and bizarre. 
And it's clear that these children don't have these ideas. It's just these parents have decided they need to try anything to get in front of Donald Trump, I guess, but use children as a, as a shield. Now, I'm sure you've heard there's some theories out there that the Electoral College um, can and or will take the nomination away from Donald Trump, that he's not really the president yet because the Electoral College has <laughs> to actually do its thing. And I, I see you have a piece here where you talk about how social media supporters of Hillary Clinton are sending around the names and personal information of Electoral College voters, and some of them right. are receiving death threats now. In the spirit of the holiday season, they're being very kind and reaching out to these uh, electoral college voters who generally just have, it's sort of a symbol, it's symbolic, their job. They just have to go and cast a vote. But somebody has compiled all of the names and found out personal email addresses, Facebook pages, phone numbers. And now in select states, Hillary Clinton's supporters are calling these people endlessly to the point where some of the ones that we talked to uh, had received up to 14,000 calls just in the couple of weeks since the Electoral College. And uh, they've gotten pretty nasty. Nobody is really the love Trump hate thing that we keep seeing all over the place isn't really being followed to the letter let's put it that way I, i've seen some some funny cartoons making their way around the uh, the internet i should probably post one on facebook or something of people uh of like a like a gang of, of individuals screaming <laughs> love trump's hate as they're like kicking somebody's face into the sidewalk who's wearing a trump hat right. i think that's very apropos i think that's really capturing the moment I think uh, one of the things that we found was that love trumping hate involves a lot more broken glass and and destroyed cars than we thought it would on election day. So. Look, Emily, people have their own ways of showing affection and love, you know. So right. for some for yeah. some people, you just gotta you just gotta kick in the window of a Starbucks, and then everybody knows how much you <laughs> how much you care about them. Um, I something to, to keep in mind. Maybe Walmart in order to do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, my, my dating life. I should have been taking should have been taking cues from the left for a long time here. Um, Hillary Clinton officially time for her, her to retire, according to a poll. Oh, my. I guess everyone's finally realized that Hillary's really done on the political scene. Yeah, this is it's over. I mean, this was a poll done by Rasmussen earlier this week and more than 50% of all Americans, and this includes Republicans and Democrats, have just had enough of Hillary Clinton, and they really don't care to see her ever again. They, she should retire from public life. She should not seek public office ever again. Um, and this applies to Democrats, too. They're, they want their uh, party to go more towards Bernie Sanders and something new, which is really strange when you consider that he's 80 years old. But something new and fresh and different than, than the Clinton machine. Yeah, I mean, Trump said famously that we're going to win so much we're going to get tired of winning, and I'm not going to hold my right. breath on that one, although I'm hopeful. Uh, Hillary lost two presidential elections. One would think that perhaps she's tired of losing. You would think, but this is the Clinton family, and they really don't give up. I mean, it's entirely possible that they're grooming Chelsea Clinton for the next next senatorial election in new york they, they just cannot be outside of power and so i don't anticipate her following the will of the people very closely honestly and one last one for you emily don't punch your uncle a heat street guide to surviving <laughs> holiday political debates first hour of the show i said look everybody just just chill and talk about 
you know, how excited you are for Game of Thrones instead of getting into a political debate. But if one chooses to to go into politics, how do they how do they uh, do it in such a way that, as as you write here in the headline, you're not going to end up punching your Uncle Morty? We actually suggested that they don't, that they, uh, you know, try to bring a board game to the table and just annoy the crap out of their friends and family. Um, Try to make a personal announcement that's going to keep your family talking until Christmas. Um, But just try to stay away from politics as much as possible because it can't go anywhere good unless you want an animal-style food fight with your turkey. I think this is the year to just... uh, cool it on the political discussion yeah i've been talking about politics for for professionally for a while but before that you know i'm sure you the same thing for much of my life Mm -hmm. and never once have i been like you know this thing that's really important to you you're wrong on it and let me explain (laughs) why and that person has been like yes my closely held political belief i abandon it now i i submit (laughs) i've never managed it and i'm pretty persuasive because I'm browbeating you over a turkey breast. <laughs> it never, never, never happens in this world. Yeah, I know. Everyone should just fo- everyone should just focus on the cranberry sauce and the stuffing. Emily Zanotti is over at Heat Street, where she is the political editor. Emily, your uh, what's your Twitter? Oh, Emily uh, E M Zanotti on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Have a happy Thanksgiving, madam. Thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to have you back. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, team eight 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 nine zero zero three three nine three. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show. Oh, by this time tomorrow, my belly is going to be so full of turkey and stuffing and gravy and stuff like that. It's going to be delicious. And then I'm going to spend the next three days atoning in the gym. Um, but tomorrow, going wild on that turkey. Nona in California, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Thanks, Buck. Um, I. Um have been politically active since I was a teenager. And one thing that was really great, in, in uh, uh, 82, I was part of a successful write-in campaign for Congressman Packard to become a, a U.S. congressman. Uh, nice. But my vote has not been, uh, you know, didn't go for any good since 1988 uh, for California because it's always gone Democratic. Um, but in the last eight years, I worked as a poll worker for Los Angeles County, and I live uh, 15 miles south of the Kern County border. Which you is got about 90 line. seconds, Nona, so I need to get you moving along. Okay. Go ahead. So um, anyway, uh, the um, I, as I was working the polls, the people were showing me their ID because new voters in California have to show their ID, but most of them had voted in the primary. And they didn't realize they didn't have to show me their ID. Uh, but when they were showing me their ID, some of them had uh, IDs from other countries, like El Salvador, right next to their California uh, ID card. Uh, and I had to give them a ballot. Uh, another thing that happened was they were so eager to vote for a Democrat, we used more ballots than ever in this election because so many of them marked 
both of the Democrats that were running for U.S. Senator in California, because there was no Republican at all on the ballot for U.S. Senator, that we voted, you know, close to 100 ballots. So you think you saw some voter fraud, maybe? Oh, yes, I'm sure. I'm sure they, you know, last year, California gave illegals California IDs, and with that comes motor voter. They registered to vote. They voted in the primaries. They voted in this election. Uh, and, wow. you know, Hillary's million uh, vote lead could probably be erased if California illegal aliens voting. Thanks, Nona. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team, welcome to the Freedom Hunt. Hour three is upon us. Thanksgiving is going to be upon us soon thereafter. Well, I guess tomorrow, but close enough. Maybe you're on the road already or in the airport, as I was yesterday. God, I hate airports. Uh, going to see family, so we're going to keep you informed and entertained here on the Box Action Show. To that end, we're joined now by our friend Adam Crato. He's a senior writer for the Washington Free Beacon. Going to lay it down on some national security. What's up, Adam? Hey, buddy. How are you doing? You know, just living larger in charge. So uh, let's talk a bit about some stuff, right, and then we'll ask you. you some random Thanksgiving questions. Uh, first sure, off, the, you know what I mean? Why not? Why not? we got all the time in the world. So uh, sure. you got uh, Obama admin covering up. This is on freebeacon.com right now. Obama administration is covering up key Iran deal details in the final days. Like what, sir? Well, uh, <laughs> it's a good question. There are a lot of them. And I'll apologize in advance for the uh, background noise. I'm at uh, Union Station here in D.C. waiting for a train. So, nice. um, so you're, you're the right in the holiday <laughs> spirit with everybody else who's frustrated and traveling and having to deal with all that. So there you go. It's it's not pleasant, I won't lie, uh, but uh, on my way to Philly to see the family. So um, what we've got here is essentially another attempt by a senator, in this case Senator Marco Rubio, um, attempting to get further information about this ransom deal that you and I have talked about extensively, this $1.7 billion cash payment that the U.S. gave. Now, Rubio petitioned uh, Deputy Secretary of State Tony Blinken uh, to answer several questions. Uh, Blinken responded, of course, as he's obligated to due to Congress's role in oversight over this, but dodged every single question that Rubio asked. So we now have no further information about whether this was a ransom payment, whether we did this in multiple track diplomacy with Iran. And I think very key here, um, whether we did this with officials tied to Iran's intelligence apparatus. Um, as far as I can tell, and from sources I've spoken to, the deal was signed between U.S. officials and members of uh, Iran's IRGC intelligence apparatus. Now, the administration won't answer this. So, again, we're left in a place where we don't know what's taking place. And this has led Rubio to tell me he's looking forward to the Trump administration, where they can entirely scrap this deal 
start from the beginning. Is that you, you think that's going to happen? I mean, I know I'm asking you to look into the future a little bit, and a lot of things would have to, you know, the, 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 there's a lot of stuff that could change between now and when the Trump administration actually takes office. Sure. But are, are you feeling like they're going to just scrap the Iran deal? Because you keep hearing from some in the media, oh, it would be so difficult to do. And I keep looking and I'm saying, why is it so difficult to do? <laughs> Someone explain this to me. <laughs> Well, I actually do have an answer for this, and you're right. A lot of people are asking the question of whether it's possible for the administration to scrap the deal. Um, my answer might not be exactly what uh, others would say, but I say, no, you can't do this. Um, it's an international agreement, right? Uh, we did this with the P5 plus one. So essentially, you would have to go against Russia, China. You would have to go against uh allies like Saudi Arabia, who are all kind of in favor of this deal. The Russians in particular have been uh, using the opportunity of the rollback in sanctions to sell the Iranians military equipment. Uh, the Russians and the Iranians right now are caught up in a $10 billion uh, arms agreement that, that is slowly coming together. So I think that even a Trump administration that wants to say, let's throw it away, would have a lot of opposition to this. What I think we can do is tweak it. We can uh, go back and renegotiate with the Iranians and say, look, you're going to do this or else there are repercussions and we're making you have stronger agreements on enforcement. You have to make sanctions rollbacks tied to progress in the deal. Things of this nature where there's a, um, a, a status point we have to get to and the Iranians have to reach for us to give them rewards such as sanctions roll back in cash and things of this nature. Hmm. All right. You also got a piece of your <laughs> Wasn't the answer? Yeah, wasn't the answer you thought I might give? <laughs> no, that's all I say. Hey, Credo, you know, keeping us on our toes, my man. That's how we like it. Um, you got a piece on freebeacon.com, the GOP all-star team. What are you thinking about this team? Who are the all-stars? I'm actually very, very impressed. Uh, I, I think everybody has been clear from me being uh, on your show and other shows and Twitter that I, I had my concerns with the Trump administration and some of the Trump rhetoric on foreign policy. But the people I'm seeing him assemble are so wildly impressive. Um, Mike Pompeo coming in as CIA director. Pompeo's office and I have worked together on quite a few stories. Um, people have seen I've quoted him quite a bit. And he has been a real critic of the Iran nuclear deal, and not just in rhetoric. He's investigated this deal, and some of the um, data points we know about now have come through his investigation. So I find that very impressive. Also, um, General Mattis as Secretary of Defense. This is a man well-respected by the entire defense community and could really come in with not just support, but as a D.C. outsider, he hates Washington, and could come in and help reform, but also keep America's military nimble at the same time. So I find that very impressive. The other name that uh, I, I think is worth noting and bringing up here in terms of the conversation, actually two, I would say Mitt Romney as a possible Secretary of Defense. That's a wild pick. Who would have thought that Trump and Romney would come together on this? So I, I think we're seeing here um, the Trump administration shape up with not what people expected. People who came out and criticized Trump, I think the thought was that he would ignore them completely. It looks like he's focused on building the best possible administration out there. And, and by the way, I, I'd also know Michael Flynn as a national security advisor. The man is also 
very, very well uh, revered and just put out a very important book with Michael Medine that I recommend people read. Interesting. You know, there are there are some folks on the right even who are a little uh, a little iffy on it. everything else you said, I, I think, is, is, is almost consensus among those who are in yeah. the know on the right. But there's a difference of opinions on Flynn that I'm coming across. That some Flynn. say that he was a, a bad manager and not always so picky about his words when it comes to the war on it, on, on Islamism, which, by the way, some reporters, not going to name names, you can find it on Twitter, don't yeah. understand the distinction between Islam and Islamism. You probably saw that. That was quite funny. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I have seen that criticism, and I, I think there's no problem with bringing it up. And what he did at the Flynn Consulting Group and the people he may have worked with at that time. But I, I think you have to look at what the man has done and the way that he's carried his career. And that's what kind of gives me reassurance in this post. Um, and if you're talking about rhetoric, uh, Mattis also has been very outspoken, often in words we cannot say on the radio, um, some of these quotes, the Free Beacon has a collection of them that I recommend everybody reads. But I think when it comes down to being put in the seat, just as we've seen with Trump, now he is going to be the president. I think that these individuals as well will come around to the seriousness of the job and practice it in that manner. All right. Mr. Credo, what's your Thanksgiving like? Any any interesting family uh, rituals or traditions? <laughs> no, not particularly. Uh, uh, I have a small family, so it'll be mostly uh, my father and mother yelling at me, and I'll yell back, and then my sister will be there with the kids. The kid will be crying. It'll be catastrophe and annoying, and we'll all enjoy it in the end. Do you guys do you guys do politics at the at the Thanksgiving table, or you keep that stuff? Oh Lord, no, Lord, no, 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 no. Uh, my my parents not particularly politically engaged. Um, it's very superficial for them. Uh, my sister, a a lifelong diehard liberal, so that doesn't come up. And uh, honestly, for me, as somebody who kind of works in this, like you, uh, I try to avoid it at all costs. Yeah. Well, you can always pull this sort of snarky. You know, well, I wouldn't do this with family, but you you always pull this with friends in the outside world. I get paid to talk about this stuff, folks. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> I know, I know. Boo. People would want to throw things at me, but it's kind of fun. It's, it's, it's a fun one to shut it down. People are like, how could you support such a bigot? And they're like, you know what? You know, the meter is running. How about that? I'll tell you. Yeah, exactly. I love it. There we go. Adam Credo is a senior writer for the Washington Free Beacon. Freebeacon.com is where you find his stuff. At Credo Zero on Twitter. Mr. Credo, have a fantastic Thanksgiving, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Buck. Same to you, sir. All right, team. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. So Obama presented some medals of freedom. Uh, that was interesting. We have some audio of it. Play clip one. Please. Today we celebrate extraordinary Americans who have lifted our spirits, strengthened our union, pushed us towards progress. I always love doing this event. 
But uh, this is a particularly impressive class. Yeah, so who do we, John, who do we have here? Uh, we got uh, Michael Jordan got one. So he's awesome. Oh, we have Lauren. Oh, let's play that uh, clip two. We actually have Obama talking about Lauren Michaels. Go. After four decades, even in this fractured media culture that we've got, SNL remains appointment viewing, a mainland into not just our counterculture, but our culture. Still a challenge to the powerful, uh, especially uh, folks like me. So you have uh, SNL, the guy running it, Lorne Michaels, getting Presidential Medal of Freedom. SNL has been really unfunny in recent years. Um, it is, has gone, I think it keeps going downhill. People think it's rock bottom and that it actually finds even more rock bottom. I think, generally speaking, SNL has been terrible for a while. Uh, and I think a, a, a big part of that is there's been a focus on trying to be reflective of sort of dominant Democrat liberal culture instead of just being funny. Uh, sometimes they do funny things. There was that sketch uh, a little while back where they had a Trump voter on Black Jeopardy. I actually thought that was really funny. And not only was it funny, but it was like everybody could laugh with it. It wasn't really I mean, they made fun of the Trump voter a little bit, but it wasn't really it was actually kind of done with some warmth and some class. And and it was it was good. It was clever. If you haven't seen that one, I, I would recommend it. Yeah. With Tom Hanks playing the, the Trump voter. Uh, that, that was a the, that was the best SNL sketch I've seen in I uh, in a very long time I think, um, but the uh, the he- former head writer of SNL is actually my high school classmate. I haven't spoken to him since high school. I, I'm not somebody who uh, gets particularly nostalgic for his schools, and I don't I don't uh, judge or anything like that. Those who do, I think it's great, but I just have I don't really feel the urge to go to like high school reunions and things like that, even though they're right here in New York and I, I could pretty easily. Um, I mean, maybe I'll go. I, don't, I haven't been to one, I don't think. I haven't been to a college or a, or a high school reunion. So I guess I'm, I'm, I don't even really know what I'm missing. There's that aspect of it. But I haven't seen him, uh, Colin Jost. Very nice guy. We were on the debate team together. Um, never had anything but uh, pleasant interactions with him. And, and he became, you know, I'd say we were friendly. We were never friends. Uh, in the sense that we would like hang out outside of school or anything, and uh, he he's a head writer. He was a head writer at SNL. Now I think he's just the, he does he's the weekend update guy, and you know beyond that we'll see. I um, mean I wish him all the best in his career. But he had a joke on Weekend Update, and I feel like there's so much uh, there's so much truth in not just the joke, but uh, in in the way that people responded to it. Um, so here's here's the here's I'm trying to find the exact okay. He says the dating app Tinder, speaking of SNL and, and where it stands on things, uh and how it's so PC really. So he made it and comedians are supposed to be the ones, and I'm very frustrated with comedians after the Trump election. Most of them have just crawled into their shells and cried like little babies and been really annoying and you know, instead of just trying to make fun of the situation and and be funny. They're, they've been a bunch of little hysterical whining brats as well, for the most part, not everybody. Uh, but Colin just went on, he said on Tinder, this was the joke, the dating app Tinder announced a new feature this week which would give users 37 different gender identity options. It's why, or rather, it's called Why Democrats Lost the Election. And I gotta say, uh, 
yeah, there's a part of there's there's a lot of truth behind that joke. And I think that's why the left is freaked out. And usually Collins, a guy because he writes for SNL. And of course, they make fun of Trump a lot more. They're they're, they're basically a an unregistered Hillary pack over the course of the election, a political action committee for Hillary Clinton. But usually SNL is in sort of good standing with the left. They can get away with some stuff. I remember a while back, Tina Fey because uh, she wrote that Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt show, which is on Netflix, which is just okay. It's just okay. It's not great. Not really that funny. It's actually pretty bad, to be honest with you. I, I thought. I really, I really did not. I didn't watch the second season. I watched most of the first season, and I you know, didn't really like it. Um, but there's a character, though, who's a, who's a blonde actor, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed actress, and she, in the show, comes from a Native American family, and this caused an uproar. And Tina Fey was able to say, because she's Tina Fey, sorry, I opt out of your politically correct like lynch mob. I just want nothing to do with this. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not. Gonna... But she's in good standing with the left, so she can get away with that kind of stuff. Uh, Colin and the rest of the staff at, or maybe I should call him Mr. Jost, because I haven't spoken to him since we're, well, no, I mean, we're the same age, whatever, but I haven't spoken to him since we're 18. Uh but he's usually in good standing with those on the left, and he's somebody who could get away, you would think, with making a little, you know, a joke that definitely pokes at some of the sore spots among progressives. And no, they've completely freaked out. I think he's apologized for it now, or he's gotten in some kind of trouble. Um, people, uh, you know, people are getting all upset about this. Um does anyone really believe? I mean, this is kind of what I want to ask them. I want to start forcing very straightforward questions on those who are part of the outrage machinery. Um, like from now on, if I were if I were on t- if I were on TV, and hopefully you'll start seeing me more on TV and some other places soon. Side note. Um, but if I were on TV and somebody were to ask, start you know start the barrage of like Trump you know Trump did this Trump did that alt right all that stuff i'd say do you think that donald trump is a racist do you think he really doesn't like non white people i feel like we should start to force we should force very basic very obvious questions to be answered instead of allowing people to do all this sort of guilt by association and insinuation and i'd rather just really force the issue trump represents racism well does that mean that he's actually racist do you, do you think that he doesn't like people who don't have who don't have who aren't caucasian in their appearance he thinks less of people who aren't caucasian um, by the way i'm sure there are people who would go on tv and who have considerable followings and all the rest who would say yes that's right but they should have to they should have to own that they should have to really say that i, I don't like all the sort of dancing around because i think by the way that they would get pummeled in a fair debate as to whether or not that's true um but instead of allowing for sort of weasel words and uh, maneuvering and, you know, the uh, very the, 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 the more subtle implications that somebody is effectively a member of the KKK, I want them to have to actually own what they are. Tr- are they own the point they're making without being willing to say it? Um, that would be something that I'm looking to do in 2017 because I'm really sick of the well, Trump has these supporters who are racist. Well, so is Trump a racist? Is that what you're saying? If the answer is yes, okay, but let's talk about that. But if he's not, let's stop suggesting. Let's stop suggesting that. By the way, Tucker Carlson got to give him props. Did a phenomenal job uh, a few days ago with a writer from I think it was Roll Call who was suggesting that Jeff Sessions was racist. We need to do that. You know, no more no more allowing people to suggest someone's racist. Is he a racist? Prove it. Tell me why. 
Um, and with Colin Jost, this Tinder joke, I just would want to ask any, any progressives and media figures, you really think there are 37 genders? Dude, let, let, let's talk about that. Let's not just allow this to be offensive. Oh, people are, you know, LGBTQ is offended. You believe there are 37 genders? Why not 40? Why not 12? 37? That's a real position that you take. Yes, they're the left. Oh, yeah, outrage machine. Yes, we take this position. I want people to have to own the positions that they pretend to take for the purposes of smearing and destroying and character assassination. I want them to have to actually defend territory and not just be on constant offense. All right, we'll go into a break. We'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, we're joined now by Frank Miniter. He is the author of This Will Make a Man of You, One Man's Search for Hemingway and Manhood in a Changing World. Frank, great to have you. Hey, Buck. Thanks for having me here. Uh, So I want to talk to you about your uh, piece up on Fox News as well, Nine Ways to Help the Not My President Protesters Man Up. Well, you've written a book about manning up. How can the protesters man up? (laughs) They have to find some bearing, something real in their lives. They don't even know what they're protesting about. They're a bunch of, uh, unfortunately, kids who are having cry-ins, and I've been just kind of coddled too much by this society and don't realize what they're really out there for. What do they actually want? So I'm asking them to man up and state your grievances uh, and then go and, and win those grievances like the Tea Party did. You know, They went out, and, they, and I was one of them, uh, protested at, at a very important time, and then elected leaders and stood together, and here's what we stand for, here's what we're doing. Uh, and it's become a movement that's existed since then. But I see these protesters now sort of like the Occupy movement a number of years ago on Wall Street. They all thought it was fun for a little while, but none of them could really agree on what they wanted. And after a while, they all wanted a shower, and they all went home. So I'm asking them to man up and, and go for something real. I see here on your list you have one, be men of action, two, state your grievances, three, act like gentlemen. On that third point, I have to say, uh, the decorum of these protesters, th- that alone to me has been really off-putting. I mean, to have thousands of people marching down the street right past my apartment in New York City, scre- chanting, I mean, it wasn't like they would just yell it occasionally, chanting profanity down the street. I know it gets them attention, but also, you know, there are people walking with their families and their kids and their, you know, older people who probably don't want to hear F-bombs being shouted by thousands of people walking down the streets of New York City. I feel like the left takes no, uh, they, they make no effort to police their own with this in the sense of, you know, they're happy to shame anybody who uses the wrong gender pronoun for someone or who who says men up, by the way, as you know, Frank. That, that's uh, <laughs> that, that that's uh, a problem in and of itself. Um, but they don't try to enforce any basic rules of gentlemanliness. Well, they want respect without giving respect. And I think that a lot of that goes to they don't really understand what respect is. To earn respect in life, you actually have to do something, work hard for something, achieve that something, and suffer for that something. And I don't get that a lot of these kids have. The ones I've talked to sure have. And I'm near Vassar College in upstate New York, and you know, the president of Vassar sent out an email offering free therapy uh, sessions to anyone so traumatized by the election of Trump that they had to go sit on a couch and talk about it. 
that's where we are right now with this generation, unfortunately, at least the elite in this generation. They're not going up there and doing real things. I mean, I saw one of these guys break down in the street next to me in Pamplona and running with the Bulls. Uh, he just completely he was from Chicago, and he didn't know what he was doing. He was one of this, this, these generation uh, now people, uh, you know, the millennials, very young. And he just lost it step by step as it came closer. to He finally said, I have to get out of here. The cops won't let you leave once you're in. He tried to go under the barrier to get out of there. The cop kicked him back into the street uh, and said in English, in this wonderful way, he wanted to be a man and run with the bulls. Now you must be a man and run with the bulls. And I, I just never forgotten that. But this guy was so out of it because he just envisioned these bulls were about to destroy him that he went under the fence again anyway. And this time this cop didn't kid around. I mean, this is, in, you know, in America, this is Spain. He just boom, 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 knocked him senseless, turned to the crowd as if anybody else. And at the time, I thought that was pretty harsh, but, you know, that being my first run with the Bulls. But since I've learned why he did that, if, if people panicked and tried to climb out of the street, you'd end up with a throng of people in the street. And then the Bulls would run right into that throng and really hurt people, really kill people. So the cop was there as an enforcer, as a guide to a real rite of passage, helping us achieve manhood. And I just wish uh, more in this generation had such rites of passage to go through today. Interesting that you also have here on your list of ways, and again, this is on foxnews.com. It's, uh, it's, it's a piece that Frank has written up there. Um, number six is elect leaders or spokespersons. Um, that's one thing that I, I've always found sort of frustrating about these groups is they, they say that they have no, going back to even Occupy Wall Street, they say they have no leaders. But there are people that are sort of giving orders behind the scenes. But I feel like they don't want leaders because a leader can then be held to account for speaking for the whole group. And they'd rather just be able to play this game of anytime someone is caught on video or says something about why they're doing this that a lot of people disagree with, want to challenge, uh, have an issue with. They say, well, that person doesn't. You know, nobody speaks for the group is essentially an excuse for everyone in the group. Oh, you put your finger on it. It's about accountability. And the last thing this generation wants is accountability. They don't know how to man up to it. They don't know how to deal with it. It's a problem for them. Uh, and when they enter the workforce and you deal with, with them, uh, it's a whole other game. I mean, the, the ones that make it have to learn pretty quickly uh, that you do have to man up and, and face accountability for your actions. By the way, the, you also wrote uh, The Ultimate Man's Survival Guide. Just out of curiosity, for anybody who's going to be sitting around with family and perhaps you know some fathers with sons or grand, grandfathers with their grandchildren, what are some of the uh, takeaways from The Ultimate Man's Survival Guide? Yeah, that book was on the skills a man should know to be a man. So I went to UFC fighters and Matthews and asked, what, you know, what should a man know to defend himself? I, I went to Juan Macho on running with the Bulls to get back to that. I, I went to professional athletes and, and so on all over the game, including philosophers, in his philosophy, what's the philosophy of the ultimate man, and heroes, wounded warriors, and so on, all to get their take on what they learned and what a man should know. Um, so all their skills are, are put into that book. But what I kept hearing after that book was out, and that book did very well, New York Times bestseller and all that, but what I kept hearing after that book from readers uh, was, okay, these are the skills a man should know, but what's the bearing? What actually creates this man? What's happening to manliness today in society? And I looked around society, and I could see that happening. I mean, manliness is just under attack. I mean, to be a man, using use the word man or gentleman, uh, you're considered to be a chauvinist or misogynist or something. It's all cooked in. That isn't true. So how do we solve that? And I think the best way to solve it is say, what makes men? That's what led me on the quest to write, and this will make a man of you. I decided, let me go to the places that we all agree still make men. So I talked to uh, Green Berets and Navy SEALs and, of course, you know, the, the, the crazy people who go run with the bulls. In order to, to understand that, and what I found is there's a real rite of passage that creates us and builds us into all we can be that's really ancient but still used today. 
What you really have to know is the rules to what builds somebody, what builds a person of character, not just a man, but a woman of character. How do you build that person? Well, it's, it's that old-fashioned rite of passage of facing something greater than yourself and growing up towards that greater ideal. That process is really outlined in, in the book, uh, right in the table of contents. Um, let me ask you, what are you thankful for this year, if I may if, if I may put it to you that way, Frank? We're kind of trying to get in a little bit of a Thanksgiving mood. Some people have already called in. They're on the road. They're traveling to meet family. Or what, what are you thankful for? What would you want to say this Thanksgiving to everybody? You know, I'm just thankful for my four-year-old son. I've got the coolest little kid, um, and he's speaking more and more and, and just t- saying wonderful things to me and giving me a perspective, as any you know, kid can, I guess, that you don't often meet. You, you can imagine, but you don't really know until you're, you're a part of that. So I'm, I'm helping him grow into a man, and that is just such a special thing. Frank Miniter is the author of This Will Make a Man of You, One Man's Search for Hemingway and Manhood in a Changing World. It just came out. It's a new book. You can also learn more about his previous books and what he's up to at frankminiter.com. Frank, great to have you, sir. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Buck. Uh, Team, if you want to call in before we head off to Thanksgiving, the phone lines are open. 888-900-3393. Also, if any of you have an idea for what's the best place to get Furniture. I need to get an armoire, which sounds very bourgeois, I know, because armoire is French. But I need to have something. I've got one closet, and uh, most of it's taken up with a washer-dryer. And I'm trying to find a place online. Because if you buy furniture in New York City, you're going to get crushed. It's super expensive because anywhere where they have furniture it takes up space, and you know, there's all that. So if any of you have any ideas, by the way. You know, I'm I'm just I'm I'm crowdsourcing furniture shopping to Team Buck here for a second. Best place to go online to get a big piece of a big piece of furniture like an armoire. If you have any ideas, let me know. Just thinking about this. Eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three. Back in a few. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. We got some calls up. Let's take them. Aaron in Indiana. Happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, Aaron. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Buck. The thing I've been trying to mention is uh, the fact that uh, the GOP never protested uh, Barack Obama's election the way that they're doing Trump's. And Barack Obama was possibly born in Kenya at the time that was fought by many Republicans. And, uh, he I was mean, also, uh, he, he, I don't I mean, he was, he wasn't born in Kenya, but so some people, that, yeah, but so, right, he was so, still thought I mean, to be born in okay. Kenya. Plus, uh, he was a Muslim. I mean, it just goes to show how much more class the GOP has. Well, I mean, I think, I think that if, if you're making a point about how, we don't. First of all, the right doesn't protest the way the left does, right? The left loves protesting because a lot of the left's political positions are really just manifestations of virtue signaling. So they do these things because they want to show people how wise, thoughtful, in touch with their emotions, and and elevated and progressive they are. 
So, and it's sort of like holding up a sign. The sign, whatever the sign says, is irrelevant as long as the perception is, oh, look at that person. They're one of the good ones, right? That's what a lot of their protesting is. By the way, another thing is, and this is just true from people I know who work in sales and marketing, the yeah. right doesn't really boycott the way the, the left loves to go to boycott. They love to sort of go the economic warfare and economic destruction route right away, all the time. And even uh, and even even when they can't get a Trump critical. I'm sorry, sir. What? I said besides now where they're putting Trump on a cup at uh, Starbucks. <laughs> what is I, I actually explain what is the Starbucks Trump thing? I don't know what this is. Uh, I, I know. Uh, I'll look Doc it up while we're talking, talking about, about it this morning. Who was? Or yes. Doc was talking about it this morning or yesterday morning. One of the two. OK. Yeah. Doc uh, actually where, mentioned it to me in Dallas. I didn't I didn't. Uh... Yeah. Uh, okay. Where they're going and they're telling uh, the uh, Starbucks waiters that they're or waiter that uh, their name is Trump and they they're forced to yell out Trump when uh, they're oh. <laughs> that's actually pretty funny. So people instead of me being like Buck, I'm like yeah Trump. It's that to be like latte for Trump. <laughs> yeah, I like this. Yeah, I mean I think it's kind of funny. That's not really yeah, a protest. It's more of a joke. Well, it's also, I mean, you're paying them to be able to protest if you are protesting. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you're, what do you mean? How, how is that a protest? You're just having them write Trump and they're, they're saying Trump on a, in a cup in a private place. It makes them feel uncomfortable. I mean, but it's it's paying them to uh, <laughs> to be able to protest. It's just like when they were buying the Dixie Chicks uh, albums to uh, burn them when they were protesting the uh, Iraq war. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, some some Starbucks baristas apparently have refused to do this now. This has become a thing. Uh, by the way, I would yeah. not. I would be scared of what they would do to my coffee in New York City if I had them write Trump on it. I, I think that's that's like writing a a spit bullseye on your cup. I do not think it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not, I don't like it. Oh, but uh, but boycotts, generally speaking, are, are much more uh, much more common on the left than on the right. Yeah, so they like they like to go that route. We prefer to sort of just let people do their thing. Um, but yeah, we'll see. But to Aaron, uh, Shields High, have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you for calling in. All right. Alice in Rochester, New York, home to Nick Tahoe's, where I once had a garbage plate. Yes. Delicious. Yeah, that's what I remember about Rochester. It's a nice place. Very nice people. Yeah, they are nice here. It's a beautiful city. It really is. Well-kept secret. Anyhow, I just wondered if you had ever checked out Etsy for your armoire. No, but is that a good uh, Etsy? I'll go check that. I feel like uh, my little sister is yeah. a fan of Etsy. I didn't know they sold furniture on there, but I have to go check that out. They do. Just type in uh, armor in the search bar, and you'll get all kinds of uh, stuff popping up. And Etsy is nice because it's all small business owners, and you support a small business. So nice. Yeah, I, I will do that. Yeah. That's a, that's a great suggestion. I just my thing is, and I have to say, I'm a, I become a little neurotic about this. I don't know why. Well, I do know why because people <laughs> I hear these t- horror stories from people in New York about bed bugs and used furniture. That otherwise, I would definitely go the sort of used furniture route. I'd go out. You know, I, I don't care. I don't even. Fa- I'm not a fancy man. I just need a piece of wood to hold my shirts. Uh, but right. yeah, you, you think you think you just got to roll the dice on this and hope you don't have some little creepy crawlies in your furniture, right? Fuck. Buck, listen to me. I've, I'm an <laughs> antique dealer. So oh, sweet. Have, you know what's up. Tell me. All I have are antiques around here, and never have I seen a bed bug anywhere. No. 
Okay, no, good. Thank you. I think I think the bed bug industry is lying to us all about this. It could be. It could be some kind of conspiracy. I'm not. I don't know. Do you have uh, Alice? If you if you're if you're uh, if you guys ship stuff or whatever, or if you have stuff online, send me on Facebook a link to your store, and I'll I'll check it out. But Etsy oh, also okay. very cool suggestion. So please, yeah, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. You can send me right there. Thanks, Alice. I will. Not, I don't, I'm sorry. You're welcome. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I don't sell the armoires, but I have friends on Etsy who do. But I do have a shop on Etsy, and I'll send you a link to that. Please do. I'd love to check it out. I've got to get a okay. Got to get a gift for a lady soon, so I've got some stuff oh, i got to do. So thank yes, you. Yes, you definitely come to my store. Okay, All right. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, Alice. Thank you very much. Got to support local Team Buck businesses. That's how we do it here. Everybody, uh, I hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving. I'm not going to be with you uh, Thursday or Friday, but... We're going to hit the ground running on Monday. Really looking forward to it. And uh, we can communicate over the holiday. I'll have uh, some access to email. But the best way is really Facebook or Twitter. So uh, send me some messages there. Tell me what's going on. Post photos of your uh, perfectly cooked turkey, if you like. Or I also like any photos that involve uh, cute dogs. So if you just want to send me some, like your, your dog, I don't know, like staring at the Thanksgiving turkey on the table, please do. Uh, Always a pleasure to be with you here in the Freedom Hut. I'm looking forward to joining you again on Monday. Like I was saying, have a really, really good holiday, everybody. Um, we're going to be deep diving into all kinds of stuff next week. But uh, for now, enjoy yourselves a bit, yeah? Hug your family members and eat some food and have a good one. Until Monday, happy Thanksgiving. Shields high. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Oh.